Welcome back to Data Discourse, a podcast presented by AFCOM. I'm your host, John Heiderscheidt. We have Elisa Wood. Uh, she's the editor-in-chief of Microgrid Knowledge, uh, sharing some time with us today on the third episode of the second season of Data Discourse. Um, <clears throat> Elisa, say hi real quick. Hi. Thank you for having me here today, John. Thank you for being on with us. Now, we've got some exciting stuff to talk about, particularly microgrids. Um, and we actually have um, joined forces here, AFCOM and Microgrid, for a conference you have coming to Chicago in May, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But, um, you know, so we have uh, in the AFCOM community, there's folks all over the data center uh, spectrum, from facility managers to IT folks to equipment vendors. Uh, we really run the whole gamut as an organization. Uh, one thing that is very new, though, and I don't know that there's a lot of um, recognition for or understanding of, is the concept of a microgrid. You're the editor-in-chief of Microgrid Knowledge, so break it down for us. What is a microgrid in general, just at a very high level? Sure. So to understand what a microgrid is, you sort of need to understand what the electric grid is. So think about the electric grid. You have thousands and thousands of miles of wire, you have poles, and you have power plants, and then you have buildings that buildings and homes that use that power that are connected via the wires. A microgrid is a mini version of that, uh, which is also known as local energy, and uh, it is usually located very close or on the site of the building or buildings or data centers that it serves. It provides power, and sometimes it also provides heat. Most important, in cooling, I should say. Most important um, is a microgrid can island. That's kind of the key word around microgrid islanding. Okay, and so what does islanding mean? So islanding means that if there is a disturbance, a power outage on the central grid, the microgrid, which usually is connected to the grid and functioning with it, can suddenly separate itself automatically without anybody realizing what's going on inside the building, separate itself from that disturbance, turn on its own generators and provide power for those buildings within the microgrid that it serves. This is significant because our electric grid, as you probably know, is interconnected. You know, every state is connected with the next state uh, throughout the nation. And um, as a result of that, it's prone to what we call cascading failures meaning a branch can fall on a wire in Ohio and we can, if, if the right set of circumstances then follow, we can see that outage cascade or sort of um, tumult um, from state to state to state with, you know, then you've got tens of thousands of outages or more, millions in some cases. Um, so what the microgrid does is it doesn't become part of that cascade. It can, it can just separate off and continue to serve people um, while there's a big power outage on the grid, but a small power outage on the grid. And we saw a lot of that during um, the big hurricanes and storms. Um, it really came to light in 2012 with Superstorm Sandy. People noted that, for example, um, Princeton University, well, the whole town of Princeton was dark, Princeton University was lit up because they had a microgrid. So that was about the point when people started saying, hmm, maybe we better check into this. And the microgrid industry, the new microgrid industry, was born around that time. 
And so what goes into setting up a microgrid? What kind of planning? I assume you're working with different zoning authorities and probably different utility companies. Uh, what is it like to set one of these up? I mean, how long did it take Princeton take? And how long did Princeton take to set theirs up, for example, if you know? Um, and, you know, what are some of the basic costs that go into that? I assume it's not cheap. Well, uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a saying in the industry, uh, if you've seen one microgrid, you have seen one microgrid. So they are all very different and they're customized to what you need. So they can be very small and they can be very large. Um, I've heard of microgrids that are as inexpensive as $250,000, that would be very rare. And then I've heard of microgrids that cost as much as you know, $10 million, that would also be fairly rare. Um, most of them tend to be smaller than that. So um, the biggest cost you're going to find in your microgrid is the generation. Microgrids um, usually have more than one form of generation as a means of redundancy. So you may have solar panels. You may have natural or diesel gas generators. You may have uh, combined heat and power or other forms of generation, wind. Um, and that would be probably your biggest expense, depending on how many kinds of generation and how many megawatts they need to produce. And then another key element uh, is the software or the microgrid controller. The controller is really important because it not only allows you to island, but it also allows your microgrid to communicate and interact with the larger electric grid. So a lot of times it might be cheaper for your microgrid to be buying power from the grid. So the microgrid controller will automatically determine that and then will take power in as long as it's programmed to do that uh, rather than use its own generators. It, it also, the microgrid controller alarm of generation of its own is best to use at any given time. Maybe the sun's shining, it's afternoon, best to have the solar panels on the hill. Um, maybe a cloud's coming, get the, get the generators going, you know, so it'll, it'll coordinate all of that. So um, the long and short answer to your question is really not one price I can give you. It will depend on what you need and what you decide to do. Same with the timing. Um, a simple microgrid can be put together very quickly. They're doing them now in Puerto Rico. Um, they're putting in these emergency solar and energy storage microgrids that are going up pretty quickly. They have to because that island's going without power now. You know, much of it, over a million people still without power six months later. Um, other microgrids, like the one at Princeton that you mentioned, um, it's very complex and actually it's being built over many years. And that's kind of another advantage of microgrids is they're, they're not necessarily built all in one stage. You know, as your data center or your commercial business park or, or whatever the microgrid is serving expands, you can expand the microgrid in sort of a modular fashion, adding more generation as you need it. In terms of who you will work with, um, there's a lot of different ways to develop microgrids. Um, in some cases, your local utility may actually have a microgrid program, and you can talk to them. Um, there's a good example in Arizona. Arizona Public Service developed a microgrid with a data center there. Um, trying to remember the the name of the company, I think it was um, Align Data Centers. And the two paired up and built a fairly sizable microgrid, 63 megawatts. And they um, um, they are have sort of a 
symbiotic relationship going where, where the data center uh, uses the microgrid when it needs the backup power and the utility uses it when it needs some extra juice. So um, you so hit you hit one of my primary questions for you there, which is not only can you use this for islanding, I, I bet part of the reason folks will invest in it is that you can make contributions back to a traditional grid. And um, is that a pretty profitable endeavor yeah. for them? Does that help with the ROI on deploying a microgrid? Yes, it can. It, it definitely can. Um, and we see a lot of that in North America where microgrids are interconnected with the grid. Um, and they are selling services um, to the grid. So that's helping them with, um, you know, it, it, it creates a more efficient microgrid and it creates some income for the microgrid. Um, then there's another kind of microgrid called the remote microgrid, which is less likely to be part of the data center world. In that case, these are out on islands or remote parts of Alaska or places where there is no grid. So are there regions right now where you're seeing these pop up with more frequency than others, you know, as, Obviously, I kind of get why it would pop up in Puerto Rico. Not many other options after the devastation of that last storm. Um, but is the northeastern United States more likely to see a microgrid than, say, Canada or Singapore? Or are these really are they popping up all over? How, how does kind of their deployment in relation to geography look? They are beginning to pop up all over, but. There are definitely centers of, of you know, greater activity. The Northeast, as you mentioned, for a couple of reasons. One, the memory of Superstorm Sandy. Two, electricity prices are high, so people are always looking for new and more efficient ways to generate power. Um, California, there's quite a lot of microgrid activity. And in that case, it's because California is trying to green its energy supply. That's something we didn't really touch on yet. Um, microgrids are an excellent way to, to bring more renewable energy into the grid. And, and, um, so and then, I don't mean to cut you off, but maybe divest into that a little bit. Why is why is there an easier time marrying um, renewable or green energy to a microgrid than than a more traditional uh, uh, grid? Sure, a couple of reasons. One is that you get to choose your own form of power when you develop a microgrid. If you're taking utility power, you are captive to whatever kind of generators they have. You build your own microgrid, you can decide whether you want solar or wind or, or whatever um, kind of renewable included in the microgrid. Um, and the other reason is because microgrids are very fast acting, especially when they include energy storage batteries. Um, so if um, so the problem with, with renewable energy, of course, is that um, if the sun stops shining, a cloud suddenly comes over, or the wind suddenly stops blowing, your um, generator stops generating. You stop getting electricity. So because of that, we need to have other forms um, of energy, of power, nearby and ready to go. And um, a microgrid can very quickly respond uh, if the grid, for example, suddenly loses a big wind farm. Um, but the, the utility can call upon the microgrid and say, hey, quick, we need power. And the microgrid could just jump on and, and deliver the power. Same thing in the microgrid. So if you have a battery and you've got solar and you've got a natural gas generator, you can coordinate those three resources so that if one goes out, the other can quickly take over. 
<clears throat> it's really interesting stuff. It's certainly a topic I'm just kind of learning about now. Um, and it's why we're so fortunate to have partnered with you to, to work on um, the conference you have coming to Rosemont in uh, at the start of May. Uh, folks are listening right now to Data Discourse, a podcast presented by AFCOM. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about the benefits of membership or uh, the services we offer for folks who uh, join the AFCOM group, please check us out at www.afcom.com. You can click the Contact Us tab to learn more about men- membership benefits and resources and costs, things like that. Uh, we've got Elisa Wood, uh, the Editor-in-Chief of Microgrid Knowledge, a super knowledgeable resource on this topic. And that's probably not a surprise given your uh, position with the publication, Microgrid Knowledge. You've definitely done a great job educating me on on what a microgrid is. But what was microgrid knowledge? Why did that start? How did that become your brainchild? I, I think I know a few folks you might have might have started this with. But uh, when did the publication, when did the online publication come into play? Sure, we started about three years ago. You know, um, I've been covering energy markets for a couple of decades or more, and um, I just I noticed this phenomenon occurring. Um, to me, this you know, solar, renewables, they were a huge trend in energy, as everybody knows. And um, I became aware that microgrids are the new solar, the new, the new big trend in energy. Um, I think you may not have heard a lot about them yet, but you're about to hear quite a bit. Um, so I encourage people to come to Microgrid Knowledge, take a look at our website, you learn a lot. Data centers are just so important. Um, to this industry that there's a great relationship because data centers, of course, really re- need reliable power. Um, and um, we're also having a conference, as you mentioned, May uh, 7th through 9th in Chicago called Microgrid 2018. You can Google the URL and, and check it out. And I hope, uh, hope it comes to an exciting time. We're expecting a pretty big crowd. We've had three conferences. Now this will be our third conference and we've had massive growth um, o- over the, the last three years in our conference attendance. And uh, AFCOM members who are listening to this, even those who aren't but may hear about it another way in an email blast or whatnot, we're very fortunate to have gotten some discounted rates for our members to be able to attend the conference and learn a bunch more about microgrids, what they are, where they're popping up, uh, what deployment times look like, cost, uh, learning about different people on that side of the aisle, because as important as data centers are for you, um, the idea of the microgrid, I think, is a is a very uh, important one in the data center world. It, it sounds like what's really been created here is like uh, an, un- an uninterruptible power supply only at the grid level rather than at the equipment level. And um, I mean, you don't need to talk to too many folks in the data center industry to know how costly and damaging downtime can be. And so this extra layer of redundancy, I think, makes a lot of sense, at least to understand more about if you're a data center professional. Um, what are, so so you're in charge of the, the online publication. What's the most interesting story, you guys, or what's your favorite story that you've written about in 2018 so far that if somebody's digging through your website, they might want to check out that story? Uh, so one of my most favorite stories in recent months has been about the Atlanta airport. You probably heard there was an 11-hour power outage at the Atlanta airport. Yeah, I remember um, that one. I actually I tweeted a couple of news stories about it on the MDI Access Twitter hold. So the, the shock to a lot of people in the microgrid industry was that there is no microgrid at the airport. 
Um, it's, it's the busiest airport in the world. Um, so I think people are taking a pretty close look now at um, the energy infrastructure for that, for that airport and many others throughout the country. What are some of the other topics you'll have on the publication? Do you have it broken down in sections or, um, you know, just for folks who may not have been there, but I'm sure we'll want to go check it out now. Uh, how does the publication we do have data center sections. We check out the data center section. Um, we also have uh, sections on renewables, on um, utilities, nanogrids, virtual power plants, community solar, all kinds of cool stuff. <laughs> A lot of the cutting edge kind of technology that um, not only microgrids, but, but those kind of technologies that are related to microgrids that are emerging. Um, it's called distributed energy resources. Um, it's kind of the opposite of, of the big centralized utilities, decentralized energy. Um, so yeah, take a look at that. Um, you'll find information about Puerto Rico, of course. That's been a big story. Um, other big stories are that there's a lot of money out there right now, a lot of state incentive money, um, other kinds of um, incentive money especially government money out there now for microgrids um, because um, government is becoming increasingly aware of how tricky it is these days to um, keep your, your electric supply reliable. One of the big worries um, besides storms now is cybersecurity and attacks on the grid. That's another driver for microgrids. So you'll read about that on our site too. Yeah, cybersecurity is another um, definite crossover here in the data center world. I can't tell you how many different stories you hear from folks in IT departments and even facility management management now about hacking and, and ransomware and all those uh, different things. We actually, in our first season, did an episode with uh, Peak 10 via West and, and talked about some specific cybersecurity issues. Um, we've got a couple minutes left here before we've got to wrap it up. Uh, you mentioned Microgrid 2018. It's happening May 7th to May 9th in uh, the Lowe's Hotel by O'Hare. Um, just tell me a little bit more. Who's going to be there? Who are some of the speakers? What are some of the sessions uh, for the folks that I know who are going to be taking advantage of their discounted tickets through AFCON? Sure. So we will be having a special section that's devoted just to data centers. Um, it'll be sort of a 101 for anybody who wants to come and learn about what a microgrid is, what the advantages are for a data center, ask questions. There'll be um, many um, of the leading companies that are developing microgrids, Siemens, Schneider, SEC Electric, Amoresco, GE, um, others um, at the conference. Um, you can talk to those folks, get a lot of, you know, immediate information about what it would mean or how you could go about developing a microgrid. It'll be a very practical um, event. Um, and then there'll be quite a few utility folks there too, um, because as I mentioned, they're definitely moving in or have moved into the microgrid space. They see that as some of the utilities, for instance, Commonwealth um, Edison in Illinois, which will be um, at the conference and will be among the featured speakers for some of their executives. Um, they really see microgrids as the future. I mean, if you talk to them, they'll say, this is where the electric industry is going. Um, it's moving towards a decentralized grid. Um, this old, big centralized grid um, is kind of like the old, you know, AT&T um, Bell Telephone um, of the past. And it's, it's moving, people like to make the analogy that a microgrid is, or a decentralized energy is like, you know, the wireless wireless phone of, of tomorrow or, in terms of electricity. So um, 
you'll be hearing from um, engineers, you'll be hearing from policymakers, you'll have investors, financiers there talking about you know, how you can um, finance your microgrid. That's always an important one. A lot of really interesting new um, platforms and packages to finance the microgrid, even some that don't require any kind of money down or capital investment. Um, so a lot of cool things. I, I really encourage um, the data centers to come and, and take a look. Uh, Eliza, before we sign off, um, somebody who wants to get a hold of you either to talk about getting an article in microgrid knowledge or uh, maybe follow up on some of the ideas that have been uh, advocated during this podcast, where would they get a hold of you? So you come to microgridknowledge.com and you'll find my contact information there. And of course, like everybody else these days, I'm available on LinkedIn as well. Um, and also you can get to me through micro, uh, the website microgrid2018.com. Eliza Wood, Editor-in-Chief of Microgrid Knowledge, thank you so much for your time. It's been really informative, and I know we're going to get a bunch of folks from AFCOM out to check out this event. Wonderful. Thank you, John. appreciate uh, having a chance to talk to you today. Thank you. Me as well. Uh, you've been listening to Data Discourse, a podcast presented by AFCOM. We'll talk to you next time.